So this morning, we're joined by a special guest preacher, uh, Dr. Chris Green. And um, I've known of uh, Chris Green via social media for some time, but uh, the farmers, Jessica and Justin, uh, know him personally from their time in Lakeland, Florida, uh, Southeastern University. And um, right now, Dr. Green is in flux, um, headed uh, somewhere uh, else, somewhere even unknown to him. So this is kind of a um, liminal season for he and his family. Uh, we're so excited to have him join us. Um, and again, one of the uh, great gifts of this time of doing digital church. So he, he's going to pick up uh, where we left off last week in our exploration of the uh, creed. Uh, we're calling this series, We Believe, and it's growing in faith and faithfulness. And he's going to pick up with the, the uh, uh, line that's not the easiest assignment that I gave him of, we believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So without further ado, Chris, uh, take it away. Thank you, Chris. Uh, I really appreciate the invitation. And I know it says more about Justin and Jessica than it does even about me. They, uh, their goodwill. Hopefully I'm not uh, going to damage any of that goodwill, <laughs> Jessica and Justin, <laughs> today. Um, but it is, uh, it, it really is a joy to be with you and got to meet a few folks in the breakout session and... Chris, I, I really appreciate you trusting me in this moment, not only with this topic from the creed, but just in this moment in our, in our nation, in the moment we're, we're living together. And I am going to speak to that, but I want to come to that at the end. I, I want to start just talking a little bit about my, my relationship to Mary, Jesus' mother. So I was raised in a a very conservative rural Oklahoma independent Pentecostal church. And I could regale you with stories about that for, for days and days. I won't. But to say that I, I was, of course, raised to do my devotions, to pray every day. And one, one day, one night, in, in my bedroom, by my bed, kneeling down like I was taught to do, I am doing my devotions, and suddenly I started singing. So in my tradition... This is not that unusual for Pentecostals to sing in the spirit. And, and so at first I realized what it was. Um, and then suddenly I realized that I didn't know what it was because I was singing to Mary in gratitude for having given us Jesus. I was very young. I was eight or nine, probably maybe 10 and completely overtaken by it because it's, we were not only not Catholics. We were anti-Catholics. In fact, I've said since then, I think Justin has heard me say that we had a kind of unspoken list of the worst possible people in the world. And at the very top of that list was Roman Catholic, right? So below that, you know, Roman Catholic was above like serial killer in our world. And so for me to be singing to Mary was, it felt Catholic to me. There's a great story I heard once about a man who had never been to been out of his county. He was from Georgia, never been out of his county. He goes on a mission trip, mission trip to Latin America. He's in Brazil in this cathedral, and there's this massive statue of Mary above the altar. 
And the guide says to him, what do you think about that? And he says, feels a little Catholic to me. That's, that's what that experience was like for me. It felt a little too Catholic. And I didn't tell my parents about it. I didn't tell anyone about it. In fact, I didn't talk about it with anyone until a few years ago. And what brought it out of me is my grandmother, with whom I was really close, died on the day after my 40th birthday. And I suddenly found myself painting and drawing Mary. And do you have some of those, Chris, that we can share real quick? Here are some of the pieces that I've done on on Mary, just to give you a sense of it. Uh, the, a lot of them are line drawings. A couple of them are paintings. You can just move through them, Chris, um, pretty quickly. This is one of, so the, you, can you go back to that one just for a second? So normally we see Mary holding the dead Jesus, and this is a kind of reversal of that, where Jesus is holding his, his mother. Um, you can go through the rest. Um, here's Mary you know, with child. These are, the next couple are kind of uh, multimedia pieces that I did. They're collages. So this is one, the Sacred Heart of Mary. And what you have there is a list of ways that people died. Yeah, it's a, in the Middle Ages and, and early modern period, cities like London, this is from London, would publish um, kind of diaries of, of the ways people died. So that's a list there. And then the root system growing out of her heart. Uh, you can go through the others now. This is a poster from the U.S. government for the internment of the Japanese that is that I've collaged with an, a Japanese icon of Mary. You can show the, the rest of them. <clears throat> this particular piece, I should probably say a little bit about it, that writing is from a book that was written a long time ago that included illustrations of writings of the quote-unquote insane and that's what's collaged over it and this is of course Mary another line drawing Mary destroying the serpent stepping on the head of the stomping on the head of the serpent so I I found myself kind of drawing and painting Mary and then I felt suddenly like kind of drawn to this realization that Mary models for us the prophetic life. And so for me, I don't think it's at all unfitting. I think it's, it's a very appropriate that we're talking about Mary on the day of Pentecost in the midst of this moment of, of horrific reflection on the horrors of our own history and our own present. And so what I want to do in the next just couple of minutes is talk a little bit about how I think she models for us the Pentecostal life, how she models for us the way of living as people of the Spirit. And in Luke 1 and 2, my reflections will come from there. So first, there, there's a lot to say here. In fact, I... I am writing a book about this. I don't know when it will be done. If I don't have a job soon, it might be done sooner than later. But the the theme of the book is is Mary as prophet. And the title that I've proposed that I'm working with is that we're to imitate Mary, the imitation of Mary, 
in living the prophetic life, that we become most like Jesus by learning to be prophetic in the way that she is. So in, in Luke 1, we get the visitation of the angel to her. The, the angel suddenly appears. And there's so much to say about it, of course. But Luke is very careful to point out the ways in which her visitation is the culmination of, of visitations to, uh, to Israel's prophets. And Justin could talk about this for days and days, right? The ways in which the, the language that is used by the angel recalls visitations to Isaiah and visitations to Gideon, the judge from, from earlier in, in Israel's history. And so Mary is seen in Luke's telling as the last in the line of Israel's prophets anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And of course, the Messiah comes to her uniquely, and the word of God about the Messiah comes to her uniquely, because it comes to her in the person of her own son, right? And in the Christian tradition, we say that Mary is the mother of God. So all of the other prophets are in a sense pregnant with the word of God, but she's uniquely, fully pregnant with the word of God. And then she models for us what that means. And, it, and her modeling begins with an acceptance of that burden. With the, acceptance, with the acceptance, the consent to the burden. There's a, a passage in, in the prophets. Jeremiah says that the word of God is in him like a fire shut up in his bones. And people in my tradition, they love to preach about fire being shut up in their bones, but that's not a pleasant experience. Right? I can't imagine that having fire in your bones is, is anything that you want. And Mary has to know in accepting this burden that she's accepting fire into her bones. She's consenting to have her own life opened up to the work of God in the midst of the world. And as her song will point out, she knows what that means. And she consents to it. And then in her song, which comes a, a bit later, she, well, before I get to that, let me, let me say something about, really quickly, about what she does after she receives this word. She rushes to her cousin Elizabeth's house. And what we read is, as soon as Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting, the child leaps in her womb, in, in Elizabeth's womb, and Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit. And then later we're told that John is filled with the Spirit from this moment too. And what I love about this is that Mary shows us that the prophetic life, the truly Spirit-filled life, is not about you and me personally receiving the Spirit. It's about giving the Spirit to others. That the truly prophetic life is not about what God has done for me, but is about what God is doing for you. And she, Mary, just with her greeting, pours out the Spirit on Elizabeth. And she's not trying to do it. She's not trying to be prophetic. She's not trying to be uh, any, in, even a blessing. She's just in need. But because she carries this word in her, just by being honest, just by acknowledging her own neediness, she actually pours out life on, on Elizabeth. And this, I think, is a mark that God is at, at work in us, that God is alive in us, that we don't have to try to be prophetic. We don't have to try to be Christian. We can just be human. And what comes out of us, even in the acknowledgement of our own neediness, is the gift of God, is the life of God. It flows out of us, right? As Jesus says in John, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And that's exactly what happens with Mary. And then she sings. And her song, I think, is a song 
that if we truly understood it, we would know what we're experiencing today in our nation. If we knew what this song meant, it would interpret for us what is happening. It would, it would bring it into context. Because what she says is that God has scattered the proud, he's brought down the powerful, he's lifted up the lowly, he's filled the hungry, and he sent the rich away empty. This is a recognition. Mary's celebrating the coming of the kingdom of God, a kingdom that will disrupt our order. And I, and I don't have time to wade into it, and I'm not sure that I, that I even need to. But I do think that part of what we're witnessing right now is the destabilization of an order. And the question is, do we love order or do we love God and our neighbor? Do we love order or do we want the kingdom? I mean, we pray, let your kingdom come. But for the kingdom to come means for our, our order to be disordered. And I think that this, a crucial point is that there's the demonic disorder, which destroys surely for the sake of destruction. And then there's the prophetic disorder, which creates space for the kingdom to come, for a new order to come. And that's what Mary celebrates. So this, Mary is often pictured in Christian iconography and in Christian preaching as this meek, submissive, quiet soul. But her song is not meek and submissive and quiet. This is a defiant, bold declaration of the violence of grace that overcomes all of our violence. The, the ways in which God's goodness, God's anger, overcomes all that is evil in our world and all that we are we're wrongly angry about and takes everything that is we're justly angry about and brings about our hopes so it, it's a it's an incredible song but lastly in my last couple minutes i'll point to what happens when she presents she and joseph together present their son present jesus to the priest to to simeon simeon says to mary this child your child is destined for the falling and rising of many and to be a sign that will be opposed. Uh, the King James, I think, is a sign of contradiction that will reveal the inner thoughts of many and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And I think, you know, in a broad sense, what's being said here is that Mary will suffer with Jesus. But specifically what's being said is that she will suffer when her own inner thoughts are revealed. And this, I think, more than anything, or at least as much as anything, is what Mary teaches us about what it truly means to be a prophetic people, is that we let the sword of the word of the Lord that comes from us pierce us too. That we... We say not only to others, this is what God says of you, but we recognize in everything we're saying of others, it's true too of us. That, that our word of judgment against the other is always a word of judgment also against ourselves. And I think this is, this is exactly what Simeon prophesies will happen to Mary and what Mary lives. So how does that relate to what we're experiencing right now? I, I, I'm sure like many of you, I... On Monday, last week, saw the video of the murder of George Floyd and heard him over and over and over saying, I can't breathe. But at the end, 
what he was saying was mama, mama. And I thought immediately uh, all kinds of things. But one of the things I, I thought is that this is this pain that I'm feeling watching this murder is nothing compared to what his mother would have felt. She died a couple of years ago. But the reason I was so quick to think about that is because after the shooting of Ahmed Arbery, I, my wife, Julie, had a dream about Ahmed's mother. Wanda is her name. We don't, of course, know her, but watching her on the news and seeing the story of her son being shot in the, in the streets, Julie had a dream. She woke me up in the middle of the night to share with me that she had seen Wanda sitting in her room at night in the dark, holding herself alone, crying quietly, and that Julie had had this realization that she's just missing her son, that she just wants her son. And what I felt like God said to me is that nothing will change until our dreams change, until we learn to feel this pain the way mothers feel this pain. And I think that is what Mary models for us, that when you suffer, you have to suffer the way a mother suffers. We're not bystanders. We're not observers. These are our children that this is happening to, and our children that are doing it. These, these are our flesh and blood. And to be a people of Pentecost is to acknowledge that and to live from that place, to live from that place of deep woundedness. Because at the end of the day, the upper room of Pentecost is really the lowest point, not the highest. It's the point of deepest compassion, deepest solidarity, the deepest openness to the suffering of others. And from that place, the Spirit flows. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for this opportunity to share what's stirring in my heart with these new friends and a couple of old ones. God, I pray that you will take us to the upper room that is the lowest point and pierce our hearts too with the sword so that out of our compassion, not the compassion of observers or bystanders, but the compassion of mothers, the compassion of your mother, which is your compassion, out of that, God, let flow your life, your creativity, your forgiveness, your joy, your anger, your justice. God, I pray this for Pastor Chris and, and everyone else at, at Oak Church and everyone whose life is touched by everyone who's hearing what I'm saying. God, I pray that you let your justice flow out of us, not because we're trying to be prophetic and not because we're trying to be Christian or do the right thing, but simply by being who we are and suffering with those who suffer, we are allowing your spirit to pour out of us. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.